Hello and welcome to Midweek Matinee, where this week we discuss a movie that once was lost, but now is found. And we're talking about, of course, Amazing Grace. I'm kidding. We're talking about <laughs> the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League that recently hit HBO Max. So if for any reason you have not watched that yet and you're going, oh, they're going to talk about this, realize that means turn it off. Go watch mm-hmm. the movie and then come back and, and visit us. And then afterwards, of course, give us all your <clears> thoughts <throat> to see if they line up with ours or completely juxtapose ours. But this week, I am um, sad to say that Blake decided it was time for him to take a vacation on a four-hour movie, much yeah. like Chris did in the early infancy of Midweek Matinee. Mm. So, um, Blake, shame on you. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm just saying, I said in advance I was going to take a vacation, and Blake told us once he, once we said we were doing Snyder Cut, so I think... Uh, immediately. He immediately. said, what, Snyder Cut? No, bro, fuck four-hour movies. <laughs> he was like, I don't like that. While he, gripped the case of, uh, while he gripped the case of Once Upon a Time in America. <laughs> I would like to add to your uh, spoiler warning and say anything... I th- I think for the most part it would be safe. Anything that you want to watch involving these characters that you don't want spoiled, you should probably watch before listening to this episode. Well, or yeah, read I, or listen. I think the two things in this particular movie, I think where it's one of those things, if you for some reason have not watched Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman, I would advise you personally to go watch those because those are the two movies that really lead into this. Wonder Woman ultimately doesn't matter with this. Um, And Aquaman takes place after this. Yep. So I just more mean like we're we're recording this before the conversation happened. So so we don't, we don't know where it's going to go. So I figure superheroes maybe, maybe see what you want (laughs) to (laughs) see. So, <clears throat> with that said, I like Chris's bonus warning. Um, yeah, we always give that warning, but this is also, I think the other thing is if for some reason you've been living under a hole and you're like, what is the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League, you say? And I go, oh, you know, it's four hours and two minutes. And you go, oh, shit. Yeah, it's one of those things where reserve the time you need to watch it however you choose and i think interestingly enough i am joined by chris this week which i almost completely skated over in making fun of blake but that was important <laughs> it was important very important it. so chris let me ask you the ceremonial starting question how have you been buddy uh, i've been pretty well how about you i've been well i've done what we call big money moves oh hell yeah which could end up benefiting you once uh that's a could there's a lot of could in that i just want you to know that but heard yeah we'll see what ends up happening so it's been a busy hectic week but not too busy to sit down and watch four hours so the way we tend to start this this show off is kind of just a general feel at the beginning so i think a lot of people were disappointed with the actual theatrical cut of justice league that came out from joss whedon the justice Uh, league yeah (laughs) <laughs> I've never seen it. I want to go ahead and throw that out there. Oh, I, debated, I wish you had. You I debated. Watched it first. This is what's crazy. I had enough time when I got home today to watch it, but I told three different people that I was probably going to go home and watch it, and each one of them said, "Dude, please don't." <laughs> See, it's funny. 
we, we probably shouldn't, but there's a part of me that wants to record a different day so you can watch Joss Whedon's Justice League. Well, and see, that's why I said whenever when they first said that, I said, well, listen, the reason I want to watch it is because we're going to do the podcast episode about it. And I feel like having that point of reference is important. But I will stand to reason here that it makes sense that a movie that is inherently 100% disconnected from his can be talked about without that one. It's just there's a big part of the history about things that have changed and h- how the See, kind of movie industry works that we're not going to be able to get as much into. Now, I'll also tell you this. I am 100% okay with you talking about it and spoiling it because I don't care. Yeah, that's my thing is I don't think I don't think there's much point of discussing this movie without that being a main focus, but I guess we'll see. Well, I mean, we could, like I said, we could still talk about that. And I would, if you have little things that you see as big differences, like, you know, there's things I remember from the trailers of both well, you of got, them. No, well, that's the thing that you got to understand. And people did you a disservice by not telling you this. The Justice League is an entirely different movie from start to finish is entirely different. Yeah. Even, I mean, definitely tonally speaking, visual, visual tones, story, story beats, not even story beats entire sec entire locations of the movie are yeah, completely, are completely different. different yes but it, i don't know i again these are all because we're not actually inside baseball people at wb the rough numbers that often get thrown around are anywhere from 65 to 70 percent of that movie was refilmed and cut in and about only 25 percent of what snyder had originally filmed was used dude just watching it i would say less than that was used but it's amazing uh so you know one thing that's kind of been hitting me lately that i think is an interesting start to this outside of did you enjoy it oh you're asking me sorry i thought you were yeah. <laughs> no. yes no i enjoyed it i thought it was incredible okay i'm gonna go ahead and spoil it too i thought it was incredible it's not really a spoiler we know that's the point of this thing i enjoyed it way more than i intended and i think that was for a number of reasons i think if i would have went into this without making the decision to go back and watch man of steel and then batman versus superman uh, ultimate cut i don't think that these these things hit as hard because this is clearly moving a, a, a plot line started in those movies through and uh continuing it on now because of that, that's going to kind of segue us into the discussion of I've learned lately because I had never watched Man of Steel. I wasn't a big Superman fan, and this is a little bit of regurgitation if you've been listening to me talk about this on Triangle Squared, just a little hair. Um, I'm not a big Superman fan, so I've never really wanted to bother doing it because I think about like the fact that I'm not a big super fan already, and then typically when they bring him to movies, they do it in a very... Uh, <clears throat> I guess I was safe seems like the wrong word to say, but it's just done in a way that I think further makes it cheesy because I inherently think most of what Superman's original and then definitely comic, well, I would say it's definitely live action values have been where he's almost like this cheesy patriotic character. And it's not that he's bad. It just doesn't work for me. Um, and I was really surprised when I finally watched Man of Steel that this was far more what I like about Superman when I do tend to like him, which is let's go brutal with it. Let's let let's show you what he can really do and do these things. And it's such a stark contrast from like the, what was it? 2004 Brandon Routh or whatever Superman movie. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a big difference. And then watching Batman versus Superman again with the ultimate cut was something I found interesting because man of steel. I was like, this is two and a half hours. Then Batman versus Superman was originally two and a half hours. 
but the ultimate cuts three and then Zack Snyder's cut of the justice league is four hours. And what I've been able to really tell here is that while I think a lot of the time, most directors don't need that kind of extra time and tend to do better work when they cut down and try and trim the fat. I think there's something interesting about Snyder where I, it seems to me that the more time you give him, the better his films are. Mm-hmm. I can see that. I don't know. I'm not a giant Snyder fan. I think and nor am I. And that's the interesting thing about it. But here lately, my opinion on him has kind of been shifting uh, because of watching these things in this way. And I will say this movie did a lot towards shifting that opinion. Um, it's just interesting to me that there's still problems with Batman versus Superman. As I said, we're going to talk about some things. So in that regard, um, there's nothing you can do about Batman versus Superman that makes that Martha scene work. I think it's a, a poor idea and there's so many things they could have done differently to reach an ending point. Even if it was just getting Batman and Superman mid fight to have doomsday pop out and have to set aside their differences to go through. I think a great way to end that movie is to have both of them fighting each other. Doomsday pops out. They have to fight them and in the back and forth kerfuffle as we're going to call it. Uh, Superman ends up kind of sacrificing himself a la Goku and with Piccolo shooting through where he can hold Doomsday enough so that the spear can go through and then he dies and then posthumously we see Batman at the grave saying oh you know I failed him in life I didn't realize that he really was for us but I'll not fail him in death and bam every bit of it works exactly the same to me but yeah, except, better <laughs> except Martha Kent dies so I mean it doesn't actually work <laughs> I think the um there were ways to do it. They just didn't do them. Well. Oh, don't be wrong. I think there's a way for that idea to work better. It's not that hard to have Superman instead of just yelling Martha, just be like, "My mother Martha is was taken by Lex Luthor." Yeah, it, every bit about the way it was executed and written was just odd and heavy-handed yeah. and weird. It's one uh, of those things where I guess the whole explanation I read about it was, "Oh, well, Batman." it helped him realize that Superman was a person with a family kind of thing, mm -hmm. which is fine. I don't know. I, the thing is that movie is set up so weird that you can't do anything else and then save Martha Kent. So she, they have to have that scene so that Batman goes and saves her, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm again, I understand that aspect of it. Uh, but I think that what you do is you adjust that scene to make fruit. But then again, realistically, just do a better job of writing the idea that you had to begin yeah. with. <laughs> That's the problem. It's not that I'm disagreeing with you. It's that the movie paints itself into a corner where it has to have that. Otherwise, yeah. Martha dies, and then that doesn't make sense. So, Yeah. <clears throat> but we're not talking about Batman versus Superman entirely. We're talking about the Justice League. All I wanted to get there is I do think it's interesting that so far he's one of the few directors that I think the more time he's given, the more I enjoy his films. Um, now, that could, of course, just be me, but that does seem to be the general consensus. I mean, most people seem to say that his his director's cuts or whatever you call them, extended cuts by the time it gets there, tend to be much better than the shortened ones. And then kind of the reality of the Joss Whedon cut in general already is interesting because you're taking a man who has never made a movie that's really shorter than two and a half hours in this film universe and you're suddenly being like, yeah, we're going to make a movie with six characters, uh, you know, six good guys and, <laughs> and so many bad guys and we're going to do it in two hours. I just 
don't see how that works even if you go try and reshoot much of his stuff but i think the bigger thing that i think is the cool starting point for the discussion around snyder's cut is that you can't in my opinion you can't suddenly tonally completely change the universe that you've built up and expect it to work with people who watched and built expectations off the previous thing. I think the only way that Whedon's cut changing, cutting to a shorter length and changing to a more lighthearted romp style would help is people who are coming in and only watching justice league as first time viewers. But it even seemed like it didn't quite work for them. Yeah. It's cause it's just bad. <laughs> so like here's my nothing. thing as someone who's seen it why do you think the whedon cut is bad or whatever you, however you say his name i think it's whedon yeah it's whedon i don't know that's the thing about this movie is that everything good in this movie was taken out and replaced with something bad that's why i almost i wish you'd seen it because it's i was blown away how much is different the main character of this movie is cyborg Yes, absolutely. So let me let me preface what I'm about to say with a little backstory. Joss Whedon and Ray Fisher got into a big tiff. That might be a light way of putting it, but he accused <laughs> them of like racism and, and bad work environment, all this kind of stuff. And then if you watch Ju- Zack Snyder's Justice League compared to Justice League, there is no way there's nothing more convincing that Joss and WB were vicious, borderline vicious racists towards uh, <laughs> Ray Fisher with how much they took out of the movie. Ray Fisher and Cyborg are probably in Joss's League for three minutes. Wow, that's wild. Maybe less. Because, like you said, I think that the Cyborg story here in this cut is so integral to every other part of the movie. Dude, none of it's, the it's insanity to think that you know none of the victor as victor you know kind of seeing the future stuff they have where he's wearing the gotham bombers or whatever jacket mm-hmm. that stuff's not in it his dad doesn't die i think his dad is only in the scene with steppenwolf and the i created you kind of thing mm-hmm. that's it that's it he's not in the movie and then Aquaman and Joss and the Justice League. Aquaman is a dickhead to him the whole time. And in this movie, Aquaman's like, I feel bad for him. <laughs> it's yeah. I'm not kidding when I say they're entirely different. And I think when people, especially when you haven't seen the Justice League, where you're like, it can't be that different. It's slight. It's subtle differences. You have to no. understand. I knew it was different anyway. There was a lot of things, I mean, that are obvious about it being different, but that is a big one. The, one of the only things I, I didn't know is that it's a the way they handle story. Superman is very different too. But yeah, but no, you have it's a, an entirely a different, different story. Yeah, yeah, sure. Like f- full, no, like not even comparable. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're literally two different movies that just happen to share a name. Yeah, and yeah. actors. <laughs> yeah, I, that's the thing. It's like I think we might have talked about it privately, where I was like, I don't see a way to, that that he can make this movie any differently. And then you, I watched this movie, and I, it sounds dumb, but I'd never seen this before, which is obvious. Yeah. But you think that you have because you've seen. Oh, I'm just seeing a director's cut. No, I, I never. There's nothing close to this. Yeah, you know, it, you kind of got to something I was going to talk about anyway here and that you kind of brushed up on it because in a lot of ways, I feel like this movie and the way it chooses to focus on um, 
Ray Fisher's cyborg is kind of brushing against everyone else's things that they have too, where it seems to be a somewhat superhero trope. And it's an interesting one, but how a lot of the times heroes are bred from significant losses in their family. Yeah. Um, And even if it's somebody like Spider-Man who lost his parents just to then eventually lose his uncle. When you go through all these things, I think that while superhero stories can often be about family in kind of a loose secondary way, this movie's very intimately about family are people who have lost family and are finding family with this justice league that's coming together where i feel like to me that's a very different vibe than something or like a marvel get together with the avengers where that's not really the goal because it's not supposed to be and i was interested to see that that was kind of the way he chose to ground this one out and i can only imagine that doesn't that's that plot i shouldn't say plot line that theme of family I would imagine probably doesn't even exist in the Joss Whedon cut. No. Yeah. Because a lot of that is built on the back of Ray Fisher and the relationship he has with his mother. Mm -hmm. Like it's taken from him, the strained relationship he has with his father who eventually also technically gets taken from him just to that final acceptance to where it's like, you know, he he builds that back up but the reason you know you brushed on it with aquaman because you're like you know in this movie aquaman kind of feels for him and i think that from what this movie gives you about aquaman this is a this is someone who also feels like he doesn't have a family not only does he not have a a full family with his mother not being in the picture he only has his father uh he doesn't have his own people to begin with he feels like he's not in either world you know he's not quite an atlantean but he's also not quite a normal human And then you have Diana who comes from, she's someone who has left her mother behind in the pursuit of this new world. You have the flash who comes in with his father, his mother gone clearly and his father being wrongly imprisoned as far as we're led to believe. So this movie really hammers in on that idea of a lost family and then all of them kind of coming and filling that void together, even though it's not necessarily the main plot. Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, it's just the backing the same way like Fast and the Furious is about family. You know what I mean? Sure. And I guess I didn't... I guess what I found interesting about it is I didn't immediately get that feeling from like Man of Steel or Batman versus Superman. Like they're there, again, just in the way they are in most superhero stories. But it didn't feel as center front as this. But I guess if you're going to have a movie about a group of people coming together family is a real obvious thing of like you know people who work together and push through tragedy and all these different things become family it's you know like you said that's why the the fast and the furious movies end up being about family because when you're going through that crap with other people human nature tends to be that you settle your differences with people and find the things that make them interesting and make you enjoy being around them yeah no for sure oh so yeah, you know, as much as you keep saying it, I I still feel like I'm going to end up watching the Justice League as you keep affectionately referring it to it as. Yeah. But it is interesting hearing you say that you have one movie and you have another and you don't, you know, from behind the thing, you like, you know, how can this movie be that different just to go through? Um, I would I would have kind of been interested to see you watch it first just because 
I don't think you can under, and I don't mean to be insulting, but I don't think you can understand the gravity of how different it is without seeing it. And that sounds obvious, but even me telling you, you can't understand. Because there was stuff where I'm watching this movie, right? And I'm sitting there and I'm like, what? Because I knew kind of not necessarily beat for beat because it's two hours longer but i knew like okay this was what happened here and this is what happened here and like the best this movie has the single best scene i've ever seen in any superhero media ever maybe two of them actually and they don't happen in the regular one. okay what are those what are those scenes both the flash scenes there's the flash scene at the end which was by far the best i've ever seen and then there's one other scene of him running, which of him running in a circle, which for me as a Flash fan, that was just awesome. Yeah. Um, so now are we talking? You said the one at the end. Now which one are you talking about at the end? The one when he saves the world. Okay. The ending, when, yeah. when he picks up for yeah to, to essentially go back pull time. back time just a hair. Yeah. 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 There's, that doesn't happen. Like yeah. that. And that. That's it's insane. Like I don't understand how you make these decisions to be like yeah we're gonna take one of the coolest scenes I've ever seen out of this movie so that the Flash can save a car full of people and say, Dostoevsky, and then run away. Like, I, I, that's what, I, I don't understand it. That's what happens. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> now, here, here's an interesting question for you, and I only ask you because I know you're a huge Marvel fan and, I, and you really enjoyed the first Avengers. Yeah. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think Joss Whedon was behind both the first Avengers and Age of Ultron, or was he Correct. just behind the first? Okay. Um, Clearly, you like those movies. What mm-hmm. do you think is so different about him coming over here that made Justice League not work? Do you think it's the the nature of the material and how quickly he was, how vastly he was trying to change it? Do you think it's him coming in on someone else's work? Do you think it's well, just I mean, a tonal it's, difference that he, I think it's uh, a lot of things, right? It's Marvel's entirely different, so his style works better for that. Sure, um, but I also think it's a matter of coming in and wanting to change someone's vision and the thing is like justice league is a, is a joss whedon movie like through and through yeah but you know this is more of a joke answer but there's also no black people in avengers and he decided to rip <laughs> everything with a black person out of justice league so that might be it too no blacks in avengers so joss whedon can do it that it it blows me ah, man i i wish i could like I'm I don't I think less of Joss Whedon after this. Like I'm watching this movie and I'm like I can't imagine being Joss Whedon knowing right that you ruined a movie that this is so what you badly. Yeah. And like I'm I'm like semi joking about the racism stuff with Ray Fisher. It's 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 plain like as day that there was something going on with Joss and Ray Fisher. And it's it's insane that like how he you watch the movie and it seems vindictive, like they ruined that movie because of Ray Fisher, because <laughs> that's how much they take out. Yeah, and there's even a reshoot where if you watch it, and it's it's one scene where that doesn't happen in, in Zack Snyder's, where he says "booyah," which is cy- uh, um, cyborgs. Uh, what's the word like motto or whatever catchphrase whatever you want yeah. To call it, yeah and you can see him if you watch it back look angry as he's saying it like i don't want to do this 
and it's it's nuts man. it blows me away well and i think that there's a number of things that lead to a movie like that not working out i mean you know of course having not seen it i still think that there's a clear level of a chip on your shoulder to agree when you come in it's like you know this is going to be mine at the end of all this i'm going to make these changes because this is going to become my movie whether it's for the better or not like you know you start looking back maybe that scene's cool maybe that would work but it's not mine so i'm going to come in and make this movie mine by doing this and doing this i think the actors also end up doing this thing where when you have so much being reshot of a film to fit the new vision that you had and it's so drastically different from what the actors signed on for and the one thing is is that across the board you know it it's a lot of people are very hit or miss on Zack Snyder's movies in terms of the final output as to whether they like them or not but one of the things that's basically uniformly been said is that actors really enjoy working with Zack Snyder and it would like the way that he kind of directs and and says what's going to happen and it sets things up and i think that when you suddenly get a cast of people who really liked who they were working with Mm -hmm. and then you put them with someone that clearly almost everyone had a problem with um you get this point where scenes that should have worked maybe even like maybe that booyah scene can work but maybe it doesn't work when you're telling somebody to reshoot it and you're like i don't think this fits the character that i've already been playing and acting as I didn't realize, you know, you're going to cut most of my stuff out of this movie. And you, which of course, at the time of him doing that scene, I doubt he knew that. But it was mm. probably the, the idea behind that is like, why do I need to film a scene of me saying booyah when it doesn't match any of the performance I gave before this? Right. And now, oh, well, of course it works in, the, in your mind because all that scenes of me being somebody who's conflicted with who I am and what I represent and what I want to be doesn't really play into this story at all so i could just be the guy who's half human half crazy alien robot tech who just says booyah right and i mean you, you see that across the board there was a lot of talk of uh of gal gadot not liking him and refusing to do certain shots that she that he wanted written in so i think there's a number of ways that you end up with that but it is interesting to see this movie from the standpoint of it being even the the snyder cut from the most mostly standpoint of hey here's some money you do the movie the way you want to do it and as much as you're saying that these two movies are vastly different one of the big things that happens there too is that without the snyder cut existing in the way that it does and on the service that it does there's no way it's a four-hour movie yeah yes and no i would say well, I mean, what I mean by that is, I don't, and they even said it. WB themselves said, you know, "There's no way that you make a four-hour movie for theaters," is what they say. And I think that that's. I mean, if you need four hours to make your movie in theater better, then great. But they have statistics that say otherwise. But you know, does do these two movies feel this different because he gets to completely flesh out all the ideas that he would have eventually had to cut anyway? Uh, but he got to do a couple of new things in this. No. How much does that come in? And uh, that's a bigger question, but I guess where I'm actually spring-loading off of that is more in HBO Max and the format that it gets to exist in. Something we were kind of talking about earlier with you is that you got to watch this movie in parts throughout the day, yes. and that really works. At one point in time, this was originally announced to be like a lim- potentially be a limited t- a series where it's like four-hour-long episodes. And as Zach started talking about it, because there was a lot of legal issues and weird things that have to do cut wise to make this work in a more TV like fashion. So he opted against it. Yeah. Um, But even with that, I think this movie still works in a way where you get these kind of 
you know, part one, part two, you get these kind of chapter title cards that act as really great rounding off points and give each section of the movie a vibe and a feel and a point, but also create points for you, the viewer, to be able to step away. Now, I watched it in an entire sitting uh, for the most part. I had to pause it for like 10 minutes once. Uh, But for you, did you watch one part at a time or a couple parts and then break off? And then how do you think that uh, affected? Do you did you like that the movie was set up that way? Do you think it affected the way that you felt about the movie at the end at all? No, I think I think I would have liked it regardless. I just didn't want to burn myself out, and I knew that trying to sit for a four hour movie would have. I probably would have liked it less. Although yeah. realistically, the best part of the movie was the ending. So who knows? But um, I just felt like. I wasn't going to put myself through put myself through that sounds obnoxious but I just didn't want to watch it all at once so I was like okay I'll watch an hour or two and then I'll play some Outer Worlds and I'll watch another hour or two and then I'll go eat dinner and then I'll watch another hour or two and then I'll record the podcast so that's kind of how it went it was uh I think it was a good way to watch it but I I don't know that it would have worked as a TV show unless they did even more which i don't yeah, know that you I agree. need to yeah i agree i guess i just thought it was interesting that you seem to really appreciate the fact that the movie is made in such a way that there are clean cut moments for you to step away and say this is a part yeah i did because i it was mostly like i wasn't just stopping in the middle of scenes like it was once there was that cut i was like okay cool i can stop here you know and they did it enough where i was like i never felt like i had to watch for too long or anything like that yeah it was it's almost like what they normally tell you you'd want on uh handheld gaming where it's like you just want to be able to kind of do it in little snack bite sizes to where you feel like you get the full experience in a little window and or at least the full experience in a way we can step away and that really did work um i was keeping up with the chapters because I thought it was interesting that they would show up and every time I felt like this felt like the perfect time to point the, to put this in there. And that's interesting because, you know, there's times where while we reference another four hour movie, there's a I, I don't want to say interlude uh, or whatever you even want to call <clears> it. <throat> but if I recall right, you ended up watching it. You may not have. Did you watch Once Upon a Time in America? No, absolutely not. That movie's okay. four hours long. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so one of the weirdest things about that movie is that there is like a break like you'd expect in a play like oh here's your little moment for you to go out and about and take a break from the movie yeah there's only one in that entire movie and it comes like three hours in and it's so jarring because yeah that's crazy it's, it's put in such a weird spot too where it doesn't feel like it's a natural resting spot where you can be like okay now interlude sit on this simmer on this for a second come back in a minute and then watch this other hour it feels so lopsided whereas i thought this movie did a really great job of not only giving you an interlude by this but also for the viewer that wants to sit on it and view it in one time kind of a look into Zack snyder's mind about what each of these se- these parts meant to him right. and like what he's trying to do here i thought it was really cool to be able to look and see oh this is a chunk for him that he thinks is you know it's almost like watching a movie as if it were a book right well that was actually it's interesting you say that because that's what i was going to say where the movies i think one of the reasons the movie doesn't feel too long is because it's it's kind of like four movies where each segment 
each hour basically has a beginning, middle, and end. Obviously, it's not that cut and dry, but there's every stopping point. It's like you can it's stop here. And, yeah, exactly. Where I think that's my problem with longer movies is most movies don't do that. So it, you know, in a the way I would normally picture a f- uh, four hour movie would be we would have gotten two hours. Or maybe not two hours, but we would have gotten an hour of Batman searching in the wrong place for Aquaman. And then it would have been like, oh shit, well he's actually here. And then it's 30 minutes of him talking to Icelandic people. Whereas in this movie it was like, no, he's in the right spot. He's talking to him. They have a longer conversation. We have a lot of shots of, of Jason Momoa looking cool. And then we're on to the next segment and then it starts again okay i need to find barry allen and diana needs to go find the cyborg man you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. so there were so many breaking point or stopping points that it was very easy to get up and leave where i just don't see how you can do that in most other movies yeah going back to that book idea you know one of the things that we talk about whenever me and <coughs> privately talk about writing is that idea of uh, of having an overarching narrative but then in the way that this movie approaches its parts i'm going to call them basically chapter like parts every part is building towards the greater arc but every part has its own mini arc that gives you fulfillment in the moment that builds towards the long-term fulfillment you have when the final piece comes and you have that climax really finally build up because you have miniature climaxes that kind of go through each one of them. And it seems like each chapter gets stronger and stronger and stronger in terms of how severe the things happening are, um, which kind of leads me to an interesting thing about this movie too. And I don't know if it's because of the way that it was thought out with these sections, but the way that everything is kind of built up in this extra time they use to really familiarize you with each character and get their motivations and give them time to feel like <coughs> Aquaman coming in when he does right in the middle of mm-hmm. you know kind of busting through and, and and helping and holding back it feels like the movie gave him enough time to be talked to at the beginning have a couple of weird little scenes in the middle where he's still clearly saying that he's not interested but you can tell he's conflicted right. and by the time he comes in which is two hours in it feels like and i'm pretty sure that's actually accurate yeah, it's it, pretty close. it felt like oh this was a real setup where he really had to think through and figure out what he wanted to do and where i'm going with this is that all of that worked because each section has this like almost like a sinking sense of doom underlying it all because of the way they build up the team trying to come together but failing at first and then we introduce steppenwolf and we see someone fall under his might and then we continue to kind of see that roll around and then how does that impact the people who are already here then as we see that impact each character differently we see them change the way that they're coming in once diane is aware that her people have been you know basically defeated she goes through and figures out all these things and it acts as a setting off point. But because of that, the way they choose to introduce the villain and continuously have him kind of running in throughout this four hours, it works to build just a sense of dread where you're never quite sure, even though you want to have the back of like the, the hero, you're never quite sure if they're going to work it out and if they're going to make it, which yeah. is so different in my mind than a lot of uh, the way that comic book movies typically do it. Um, and this is going to sound potentially odd to someone who the hell knows but i thought that one of the few times in marvel history where i felt like this movie really kind of got me was the way that the the, there's kind of an existential dread throughout most of um 
Infinity War as well. Yeah. Because of the way it's structured. And that really works because there's a secondary part, which is interesting for this movie because this movie clearly builds towards another part, which is very similar to what they did there. It's like, we're going to have this piece and we're going to have this piece and they're separate, even though they're together. This movie and its sense of dread is so clearly building towards what we are supposed to get in the next one. Yeah. That it feels crazy to end this and then have this moment in your mind of like, is this it? Yes. Is this the end? Yes. And I'm going to lead that to a couple things. So how did you feel about this movie unapologetically just being like, this is what we're going to do. Even if, even if I never make another movie in this or another show or story or anything, I'm making the movie the way I originally intended it and wanted it. Even if it means setting up stories that may never come to pass. How did that feel to you? Because I feel like this movie does such a great job at building up these things yeah. that I do have that feeling in the back of my head of like, it's going to be a damn shame if these go nowhere. It will be. Um, they're going to go nowhere, though. And I think my only issue with it is, at least to me, and I think I, I think you can tell what the reshoots are, and I think specifically it's because Ben Affleck looks thinner in the end. Mm-hmm. like significantly mm-hmm. so you can tell that that was reshoots and i think my issue is they shouldn't have done those reshoots if they weren't going to do more because all the reshoots did in my opinion was add intrigue to the end like that whole that whole joker scene which was awesome was yeah. a reshoot and yep. it's like why did you even bother doing this if you're not going to continue yeah that was i think where it was i don't mind throughout the whole movie because i'm like okay this is a movie that you're you're just putting it out so that we can see it you're not going to change it so that it doesn't set up threads but why did you but like i like i've already said why did you reshoot because once you reshoot you make me think that you're setting these up on purpose and it's, it's just like why are you doing this to me exactly you know like if you wanted to make this movie work and as much as i thought that scene was cool too and being able to see joe mangianelli's uh deathstroke kind of playing in and all these cool inner character references of like what happened to harley and what happened to jason todd and all these different characters that are being kind of hinted at in these moments i loved it but it did feel like why go out of your way to add yet another setup for something else that you know that you know you're not gonna be able to do, and now there's a before I end up getting into the where I'm gonna eventually kind of head with that. One of the things that is comes with this idea of him being able to kind of just do what he wanted to do, right? Was this last minute change that I thought was gonna be much more noticeable, and I thought I was gonna have more issues with than I did, and that was the four three aspect ratio. Oh, I loved it. I could I genuinely in my mind i thought well didn't he shoot this with 16 9 in mind or even if you want to say one of the black bar ones where it's like 21 9 or whatever Mm -hmm. looking at how he ended up actually utilizing it i'd say 90 percent of the movie feels like it was shot and framed with 4-3 in mind and Mm -hmm. there's there's some just genuinely awesome scenes that happen from the framing the more limited framing of 4-3 that no, I, 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 I was blown away. I was, I, I could see why people would look at it and go, this is 2021. Why am I watching a movie like this? <laughs> well, the thing is like, I think it's funny because it, a lot of people, I think just look at it and are like, okay, this looks like I'm seeing less, 
when in reality if you look at widescreen versus full screen versus this this is the one where you see the most you know yeah in a lot of ways it's like for what you lose in uh field of view wide wise you gain in vertical that you get back um it's interesting and it leads to some really cool shots because you know there's there's parts where you can end up framing something to where you have this perfect four three kind of setup around a a really arched out thing and it's like okay that looks awesome because you have this confined constraints of what you're working in instead if you try and pull off that same idea when you're dealing with a 16 9 plus black bars coming in you're losing so much screen real estate to that but it's like what you lose in being able to really frame your characters in interesting ways in their environment you gain in being able to have more characters on screen or have a focus a focal point in your far left side of your screen taking up a two-thirds and then that last one-third can be something that's out of focus but kind of sets up your shot it's it's interesting seeing the differences and i wonder Mm -hmm. why he went with that it makes me wonder if like from the get-go he was always like They'll probably never let me do it, but I want to do the movie in four three. And then they said no, so he's like, "Okay, fine." <laughs> well, isn't four three the IMAX ratio? You know, you might be right. I think that was you, uh, all, that's here's what the I thing. Was reading, I'm going to tell you right now. I've never seen an IMAX movie because I grew up as a poor boy, and yeah. I, I don't know why I have it now. I don't even know if we have an IMAX anywhere around it's, here. It's it's not that great. Um, but that's what I had read was that his entire plan was to do IMAX. Well, now um, I've got to figure out like what. Wh- oh God! Ba- well, yeah, to, basically, it's 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 uh one forty three one point four three to one, which yeah. is not that different. So four three is pretty close, right? I, I, so to Chris's point, I quickly searched it and looked it up and found it, and this is pretty interesting. So he originally shot the film in general with the idea of having the whole thing be able to be put in IMAX without having to film the whole movie with an IMAX camera because there's technical limitations that come with it. So he opted to shoot the film on 35 millimeter with a 1.33 to one aspect ratio. And apparently always had the intention of in IMAX showing it in the way he filmed it, but then cropping the upper and lower portions of the image for regular movie theaters and home media, uh, which would give you a 1.78 to one aspect ratio, which is pretty much what the wedding Whedon cut actually did. Um, which is cool. I, I kind of like to see that he did originally frame this movie out for this. Yeah. And that's why I think it looked so well. Because the whole time through, I kept thinking to myself, if he shot this with the intention of a more, not 16.9, but you know, like it says here, a, a 1.781, then it just would end up looking so odd in a lot of places i feel like if he changed it but it's cool to see that he was able to do that and just stuck with it again if your idea was to do that and you know your movie's not coming to imax it's like screw it let's just do it anyway right yeah. i don't know i'm glad they did that i wonder if it was more of uh i hate, i thought that beginning little insert from hbo was kind of dumb the uh to oh. preserve the integrity of Zack oh, yeah. Snyder's original vision. I'm like, no, nah, y'all, y'all just didn't want to re-fix the the movie. <laughs> it cracked me up. Was all I just? It was funny. I yeah, saw was. that and was like, oh, they're just they're trying to lean into that fan base that they're wanting to call toxic right now. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so if you want to give into the fan base and then turn around the next second and be like, ah, oh, they're toxic. Realistically, I know what they're doing. They're trying to play into the people who were part of the uh, release the Snyder cut but not the ones who are like, we're going to kill your employees. 
Right. Th- that's ideal. That's who you should be trying to be like, hey, this is for <laughs> you guys who are normal and still wanted this. Um, and I'm really curious to see. So there's a number of things here before we get to talking about the rest of the movie that you kind of talked about the legacy, right? We talked about like what it sets up and the fact that it seems likely to never go anywhere. And I'd say right now, of course, don't live in a world of hope. Expect to not to get anything. And then if it changes, be excited that you get something more. Um, interestingly enough, and this could change because reports are interesting like this. It seems that right now, due to the movie tracking in uh, on par with Wonder Woman 84 uh, and actually doing better than it um, in terms of critic opinion, they... HBO Max themselves are interested in continuing the Snyderverse through its service, not necessarily in movie form or anything, but they are interested in continuing it. So they have a kind of an ace in the hole. Now it seems that the DCEU proper that sets these things up is not necessarily keen on doing this. So I wonder if part of these reshoots and part of why they're going through and saying this is because there is a weirdly small chance that something else comes of this. I, again, say don't live in that hope. It's just interesting that that's even in existence. And there was always the fact that if they released this and it did mega well for whatever reason, that suddenly interest can spark back to life. Yeah. I mean, I I don't think it's going to happen. Because it seems like the actors and the director don't want it to happen, mm-hmm. but I would you also wouldn't shock me because it would do so well, and I think DC would be kind of stupid to not be like, okay, we're doing a multiverse, we might as well do a multiverse. Yeah, like a you know? a real multiverse where you have different storylines that continue to go out in different directions, just by nature of being a different universe. Right, because if they were ballsy, what they could do is. And they already actually did this. I don't know if you know, but they could do the, hey, we have the movie verse, which is Ezra Miller's Flash, um, Robert Pattinson's Batman, you know, whoever else. I guess they were talking about doing a black Superman, so they could do him. And then you have the HBO Max universe, which is the Snyder verse. And then you have the CW verse. And all of these movies could come together. And keep yeah. in mind, this is already canon. Because Ezra, spoilers for the CW Flash show, Ezra Miller shows up in that show as the Flash yep. from the Snyderverse. So they've already done it. So to me, it doesn't, there's no reason they couldn't be like, okay, the Flash is our um, tether. He can mm-hmm. go to any universe. And then we're just going to do, hey, the Flash is here, the Flash is here. All, we could do all this kind of stuff, but instead they just want to have the one Batman, which I get. You don't want to have the best version of Batman versus whatever Robert Pattinson does up against each other at the same time. That would be a little weird. But I don't know. It just seems like a missed opportunity to do something really cool and really daring. And they could capture that MCU stuff that they so clearly wanted to capture. You know, And still and in a way that cooler. works differently. And it, it gives you the ability to have a more lighthearted version of all these characters that are going through in, in a continued timeline that makes sense for them. It gives you the ability to have a darker, you know, typically more serious tone for the Snyderverse. And then it also gives you this point of being able to kind of give your fans the ability to be like, oh, well, you know what? I'm not as big of a fan of the super lighthearted thing, but I love the dark thing, so I'm going to watch that. Oh, well, I'm not a fan of the super dark thing. I think Zack Snyder's movies are a little too serious. I'm going to watch the super fun one. It's a good way for you to 
really get exactly what the CEO has been talking about lately, which is this idea of tapping into as many groups of fans as possible. And I think that's how you do it. If you really want to make all these different DCEU extended universe things and you want them to exist across different mediums, be it video games, TV shows, streaming services, then that's how you do it. In my opinion, you let all these things exist in run timelines that work within themselves and let people enjoy them for what they want. And then you also get the benefit of maybe someone who has been kind of on a DCEU strike decides, oh, you know what? They're continuing the Snyderverse. I'm going to go ahead and give this other movie a, a shot when they might have otherwise tried boycotting it because they weren't happy. Now, of course, I think only do it if there's clear demand, but I think right now the fact that Justice League is doing so well on HBO Max is a good sign that there is a demand for it. And if you can adjust your budget appropriately and yeah. if, if you can get the actors on board, which I don't know if I completely know if I completely agree, it does seem like there's a mixed bag about the actors. It seems like Ben Affleck is coming back for the flash movie, but there's also another Batman in the flash movie makes sense considering what they're building toward. Mm. Uh, but Diana clearly looks like she's still going or Diana <laughs> Gal Gadot is still going to be Diana. So that wonder woman would say, it seems like the best movie they've done dollar wise Aquaman is going to continue to be Jason Momoa. So it looks like half of the cast, you know, you're doing a flash movie with Ezra Miller. Half the cast is already locked in to stay going. Um, and they I'm all just, seem to enjoy working with Zack Snyder. So I wonder it's, it's more of a, of a, just a, a curiosity. I wonder how out of reach it genuinely is. I think Ray Fisher right now is the big puzzle piece. I, I mean, I'm almost a hundred percent sure Ben Affleck said he was done. But we, we don't, other than the Flash movie, obviously, I think, but that was his whole thing was like, I'm not making the Batman because I almost killed myself doing Justice League. I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> so I don't think he's coming back yeah. for a, 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 his own thing, but whatever. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what they do. And if he doesn't want to do solo movies, but he'd rather continue to just work in a capacity of where he takes on a lesser and lesser roles in the Justice League thing as they continue to have other characters take a higher role. Yeah, um, and I mean, the only the other selling point, I guess, to him would be that supposedly all the leaked plans would have him only in it for two Justice League movies. So. Exactly, yeah. So if it, if it goes on as it was going to, then you never know. Um It'll be really interesting to see. Um, so here's here's my big question, uh, and this is more of a. It's gonna again for anybody who's watched it. My big question is where does Dark Side come in, and how is Steppenwolf handled in the Whedon cut versus this? Because I like how in this movie Dark Side is not really the main prota- the main antagonist of this, but he's clearly the end goal of what you're yeah. reaching. Steppenwolf ends up being our end protagonist here. Do these roles play out similar in the Whedon cut, or do you feel no. like even the way... Okay, yeah. I didn't think so. From the way this movie set it up, I had the imagination of they just pushed Darkseid in into the Joss Whedon one to try and cap it off. <laughs> Darkseid is only in it, and I think the... Uh that little art piece that Diana sees. Mm-hmm. And I'm almost positive if it's in, I don't remember. I can't say I haven't seen justice, justice league in a long time, but if it's in there, it's literally only her seeing it. And it's just a jump cut to it. Oh, so it's basically just Steppenwolf. Yes. It's just Steppenwolf. 
in 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 Justice League. Okay, that's what I was trying to figure out. If they leaned more heavily on Dark Side, or if they tried to just completely cut him out to where he's more of just a, a reference rather than a clear goal forward. Yeah, he's just a reference. Um, and even Steppenwolf, like I, you feel kind of bad for Steppenwolf in this movie, where you don't want him to win, but I don't know if the justifiable is the right word, but you feel for him, and in uh Justice League he's just he's just a caricature of a bad guy. Well, you know, we talked about or at least I did earlier the idea of this movie being about uh family and a couple of the weird things here is that you have the Justice League kind of being all about family and coming together and working across from their differences and everything. And then interestingly enough, Steppenwolf in this movie is almost treated <clears throat> like he's he wants his side to work out that way. He's trying to redeem himself for something he feels he's lost. He feels like he's lost his very weird, twisted, contorted version of, you know, involuntary servitude <laughs> version of family. But he's clearly trying to work back towards something, but it shows it in more twisted fashion because most of the unity and this idea is about things that are coming together to just work involuntarily together at basically the cost of free will. I mean, that's what it seems to be building up. And I'm, I've tried getting a good feel on what exactly the anti-life equation is and how that pertains to the plans that dark side has in this universe. Um, but I like that for as much as everyone else seemed to be following under Steppenwolf seemed to be, a basically means to an ending it here. Like, yeah, this was important to him, but it was mainly important to him, not just because he wanted to grow dark side saying it's because he wanted to do it so he could get his way back in. And that made him much, it made him a much more, um, layered character. I mean, if you want to use that wording, um, and there's something about having a flat villain, like that that just is super not compelling you want to at least be able to feel like you can know where your villain is coming from yeah i i don't know i wonder I, i'm starting to wonder if a lot of my uh sympathy for him is just because the eyes w look so much better in this yeah the cgi i can only imagine is so much better in this uh, the, the, <laughs> just because it happened to be newer cg at a time where COVID was striking and a bunch of people who were normally backlogged for years for uh, effects work suddenly had a big open slate. I am assuming, because I was across the board blown away by how good the effects looked in this movie. Yeah, I agree. There were some scenes where I was like, okay, this doesn't look good. But it was almost this thing where the whole this is the most comic book of a comic book movie has ever been. So there were some parts where the CGI looked bad, but it almost fit the tone and, and the way the movie was going. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. So even in a moment where you may have been like, ah, that's odd. It, it wasn't odd in like a sense of it's more like if you're hyper looking at it, you're like, huh. But then when you look at it in context of what's going on, you're like, okay, yeah, it works. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's very different in that particular situation. So... I'm going to lean on you a little bit for this because sure. you, you mentioned that these are two very different movies. So I'm curious as to if, I guess this is what I'm going to say. If you had to give a short synopsis about what you think the underlying, the underlying theme and whatnot of the, of the 
justice verse as you keep calling it is versus this one and how do you think this extra runtime and completely unused footage go into just make this movie like do you only think this movie in the long run of this do you only think this movie's better because of the context of the justice league or do you think if you'd watch this movie without that you'd still be like wow this is really good because for me i think i'm surprised how much i i enjoy it without the context of the other film I think if this movie was the one that came out, we'd still be getting Snyder movies. I agree. I certainly agree. Though uh, that goes to the question of would it? You know, would they have let this version come out? Would they have let a four-hour movie come out? I think there's. A, the thing is, I like this movie, and I don't mind the runtime. I'm positive you could find an hour to cut of this movie. I'm. You could even push. I think you could push theaters to half an hour to three and a half hours, and there's enough sl- just slow mo that you could cut down yeah slow mo is an interesting thing here because someone said 10 percent of the snyder of the snyder cut yeah ign tweeted that that out yesterday but then again when you have a character who's speed related and every time he moves fast everything around him has to go slow-mo is that really that seems pretty conservative the fact that only 10 percent of it is is slow-mo is kind of impressive yeah i mean that i don't know i think that's overblown by the runtime too because i'm sure if you found another movie that was an hour and a half with a minute of of slow-mo in one scene, it would be just as much. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. So, you know, one of the things that you kind of talked about here too, is like, what can you cut? And while watching it, I thought to myself, like, you know, if I really wanted to be that person in the editing room of like, how do we shave off seconds here and here and here and here, there's times where they linger on shots. And I'm like, I appreciate the linger here. It's not necessary but I see what they're going for. And yeah, you could definitely probably cut 30 minutes from this, from even this version and maybe make it work. Yeah. I mean, you could, sorry, go ahead. No, you're fine. I was just, I couldn't remember. It's been a little while since I've watched it just out of curiosity, which of course are different setups. How long is, um, Endgame or infinity war? I want to say both of those were like three hours. Endgame is three hours and one minute. Infinity war is I think two and a half. Okay. I'll check. Well, I mean, it's just more of a getting a feel for the difference, you know, because moviegoers were ready for that. But I think the difference here is that moviegoers weren't as stoked about Justice League, I, I feel, in comparison to what Marvel had to work to eventually earn that runtime. Well, yeah, that's the thing. And that's the entire problem with this DCEU is that they didn't build it up properly. Yeah, I'll agree there. I thought getting to Justice League this quickly, that's another thing that leads to the idea of being really surprised by this movie. Everything yeah. that, in my mind, I was like, yeah, of course Justice League wasn't going to work. You you set it up in two movies and three characters, and then you're setting the rest of the characters up in the next movie, and then definitely whenever you see that the Whedon cut's only two hours, it's like, how does any of that work? You know, you're, you're trying to get the payoff of a Marvel movie, like mm-hmm. Avengers, which made big bucks because it set, it, it took what, four or five movies to build up to that point? Yeah. And it made sure that you knew most of the characters by the time that that movie came into play. So when you do that, it's like you, you build towards that and it seemed to me like I wonder how much of this was was <clears throat> Zach being like, oh, this is what I wanted to do or if this was Zach being prodded by the DC to be like, hey, get us to a buddy movie you know all of the movie all the people coming together team up movie as quickly as possible maybe i mean i don't know it's hard to say i think they just want they saw the success of avengers and were like we can do that 
we have the characters and they um, do right my the thing that's confusing right is marvel built the mcu without their biggest character yep. and <laughs> dc has all of their characters and they couldn't figure it out yeah it doesn't make sense it's not that hard you yep. do a batman movie you do a superman movie you do a wonder woman movie you do a flash movie those movies you you have the money they could all come out within two years and then the third year you have justice league it's not that hard yeah and i think that's the big thing right is that marvel gets to this point where they're basically dominating the calendar where at least prior to covid you had that set up and they had to work on that a little bit but typically you'd get at least two marvel movies a year whereas it felt like for a long time it was just man of steel big gap batman versus superman Mm -hmm. pretty big you know not as big but still a decent gap and then justice league and then directly after justice league suddenly wonder woman and then not that far after wonder woman aquaman like why didn't that get moved up definitely when you look into a little bit more of the movies like you know aquaman was apparently anticipated to be like they were trying to develop an aquaman movie since 2004 yeah and when you look at that and go you know you decide that you want to do this and you see this happen why don't you go we've got our superman movie we can introduce Batman and Batman versus Superman, or we can give Batman a standalone movie in this four year gap. And then we can bring Superman and, and Batman together. I, I really don't even think the way they did it was that bad. Even if you wanted to introduce Batman here, that's fine. But then yeah. go ahead and give wonder woman a movie, set her up, set up story pledge threads there. But as much as I'm saying all this, that's what I would have done before seeing all this. The amazing part about this movie, I think is that, for whatever reason it is, if it's the runtime or just the paying attention to your use of characters, they do a really good job of setting up all of the new characters in this movie in a way that I wouldn't have thought would have worked without those previous movies to set this up. Now, of yeah. course, you have that with the benefit of this coming out so much later uh, when now that we're getting it, we've already got Shazam and uh, we have Shazam, Wonder Woman and Aquaman and we have movies that we know are coming like black adam but this is clear that these were his this was at least his intention all the way back whenever this movie was originally supposed to come out in 2017 so as much as i think that yeah they tried to rush toward a reward interestingly enough i think if like you said if this version came out they actually kind of did the damn thing yeah if this would have come out (laughs) right well this movie does a good job of okay aquaman here we're gonna set you up and then even this movie does a good thing of where you don't need to know who batman is and superman's only in the last hour yep. right um but they they have lines that set up everyone steppenwolf tells you who diana is you know cyborg's introduction is there the flash's introduction is there you know they didn't need to do too much and i think this movie does what it should have done where it it gave you their backstory subtly and then they just moved past it and showed you all the cool shit. <laughs> well, yeah, and they and they introduced the characters while letting you slowly build them more once you bring them all together. You can still be like, oh, I really have a feel for the type of person that Cyborg is, even though they're all together now, because I got to see some of that as well as how he's acting here. And there's a lot of setup and payoff, you know, which is a really interesting way to play this thing out, where you have that one-on-one scene with uh, Gal Gadot, 
Wonder Woman saying, like, you know, going directly to Ray Fisher's cyborg and saying, listen, I know what you've lost. I know what it's like to lose. And I know what it's like to put yourself in a shell and think you can't come back to the normal world. But you have these gifts and use them. And then how they actually let that be a real plot thread that works its way through. And you just have all these little moments with characters where they have little things that are said to them that kind of push them towards what we see instead of just suddenly having our characters be there. And across the board, I guess it's hard to talk about it without even just... I don't even got to know what was in the Whedon cut just to know that there's no way you have enough time to do that in two hours and still no. play off. You know, how, how do you set up three more characters and a villain in two hours? with yeah, a bunch of reshoots you just you don't and i don't see how that ever was the idea <laughs> yeah i don't understand it just seems lazy so i don't know it's like i said that movie's just that movie's clearly vindictive like i know that sounds crazy but it just clearly is if you watch it in hindsight yeah sure so i guess talking more about the meat of the movie itself let's yeah. you know i think now it's time for us to really just stop doing the comparisons to the whedon verse or whatever you want to call it <laughs> i guess it's not a verse if he had literally a single movie that he butchered <laughs> but in looking at what this movie actually is and and how it brings things together i mean what is it about this movie that you think makes it work and again even if we just put it in the question of if this released back then what is it about the merits of this movie that you think make it work in the i guess i should say this it feels to me like this is your favorite movie that snyder's done so far yeah okay what do you think it is about it that gets it to that point because for the most part it's incredibly comics accurate you know and that's the thing for me is like all these movies i really like because i like seeing comic book characters fight like i think i've i said it when we were talking about perfect blue where i was like listen i just want to see like base level i just want to see iron man punch captain america mm-hmm. you know that kind of stuff and that's the same thing here except tenfold because they do stuff i never thought i would see even as someone who watches the flash tv show religiously i've never seen something like the ending of yeah. him just oh my god it's so cool but <clears throat> that's the thing that this movie does is outside of the fact that Zack Snyder doesn't know how to write Batman or Superman except for this movie he does pretty well he gets the other characters really right and that really helps for me yeah I could see that and I, and like like we said that's I think where runtime comes into giving you again maybe it doesn't need to be four hours but you know there's a strong argument that this movie i think needs to at least be three hours (laughs) yeah i would agree yeah so when you're looking at that i could see that as well i think a big thing for me that i'm still trying to figure out if it's pacing or or if it's if it's because of the runtime i felt like pacing was impeccably well handled in this movie i agree and that was a surprise to me because i felt like one of the weak points though it was still better in the ultimate cut of batman versus superman was that idea of feeling like pacing was never quite where i'd want it because he had to go ahead and move forward to get the the plan moving and the time limit that he had um again it's better when you give more time to flesh out batman's reasoning behind his motivations and a little more time for lex luther's motivations yeah and i think when you look at this movie i can see an easy way where in an effort to cut scenes from this you ruin the pacing by not allowing that ebb and flow that happens. But I also think that the pacing, like I said earlier, uh, in regards to the the 
chapter like nature of it i think you gain a really great natural ebb and flow by giving this movie parts and i don't know if that would have been in the original that's that's one of the interesting things about i think this change toward a streaming service and knowing that people have the ability to sit in the comfort of their own home and watch this as they please and parts are all together you have the movement to kind of do that like i I don't think that the theater version of this movie if it ever did come out would have had that i don't think it would have been broken into parts um i don't think that you would cut it you would do the parts in a theater because this movie is specifically made for streaming right and it sets itself up that way and i think that's the re that obviously we've said that's the reason they get away with the four-hour runtime so i think that's just kind of the way it is i think that's pretty plain that we wouldn't get the parts yeah they don't they don't make sense otherwise you know yeah i agree um so bouncing back to what you said about the characters one of the things that you said was that you feel like for the most part he didn't know how to write superman or batman no. Um, I felt like he did a decent job writing Superman and Man of Steel, even though I'm not a big Superman fan. No, I thought he did okay. I don't but think so at all. <laughs> I will say this, too. You clearly are far more into Superman and probably far more into exactly who he is than I am. So I, well, I, I will gladly take, I will gladly consider your position as much more knowledgeable or coming from a point of knowledge than I am. Zack Snyder and you, I think have the same problem with Superman where you've seen a bunch of Superman media. So you think, you know what Superman is, except the Superman media you've seen doesn't know what Superman is. That's I don't the whole necessarily problem. think that my I, problem with it's, Superman it's is a fact base. because the, the whole thing is, it's no Superman stories about Superman that's really good. They're yeah. all about Clark Kent. And if that's the thing. If you think Superman is a goody two shoes all American, whatever, you're not watching, you're not consuming proper Superman stuff. Because well, that's not who the yeah, character is. And I should clarify that's what I think that live action has always tried doing for him. Right. And that's just wrong. That's now, not who the character And that's is. not exactly what I think the comic book version is. But I'll say that I'm definitely coming from. I don't think it's that I know enough about Superman to say that, oh, he's clearly got the a grasp on Superman or anything like that. I think for me, I'm in that part where I know just enough about Superman to know that I don't know enough about Superman, <laughs> if yeah. that makes sense. And that's the thing is there's multiple things in Man of Steel that Superman wouldn't do. And, and I agree with that. And as weird as that is, that's also why I liked it. And that's why I said I'm yeah. not a big Superman fan, and it, it ends up winning me over by being inherently non-Superman. And now, not even not even to the live action version of it, because again, the live action I do think tries to lean too much on the on that aspect, kind of like how they do a Homelander as like a take. I feel like Homelander, and may, maybe you haven't watched the boys, but if uh-huh. anybody here has watched the boys, Homelander is a a spoof on what i view as the live action version of superman right well and like i said I think the, the live comic action book is inherently different well yes and everything that is in popular culture about superman isn't right the same way that most of the stuff that's in popular culture about aquaman is incorrect yes yeah now but where i was going to juxtapose that onto was that one of the interesting thing about this movies this movie is the change of batman in a way that i think somehow works and at first when he first started saying i was like i don't know this feels weird but batman or bruce wayne in this case operating from this idea of faith 
and not mm-hmm. doing this you know this is a character that we know to be hyper focused on data and what he can collect and how he can extrapolate that to pull things off and that's for lack of a better term as much as this movie has that quick little snippet of a joke of like what's your superpower and he says I'm rich I mean if we really want to be honest the, what makes Batman work is that his superpower isn't really a superpower so much as it's just like I don't even say metahuman it's like he is I see the way to word this he's a rich genius who was trained by assassins so well that he took down those assassins <laughs> like yes batman's superpower is that he's rich in the sense that he can pay for everything he needs to use his actual superpowers basically it's it's like his life was not impeded by the the normal thing that happens with us of like well i've got to get a job to do this to pay for this so that i can worry about this and then do that instead this is a man who has the means to be able to be like i'm going to learn how to just be a really great fighter right because i can do that and i'm gonna take my time and use my natural smartness to take other time to right smartness that sounds so dumb (laughs) my intellect (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> to be able to study things and be able to figure out how to notice patterns and extrapolate stuff. All it is is basically being like, what happens to the human mind when you're not weighed down by all the normal aspects of life besides the one that I would say almost puts him borderline onto these things of like, my parents were killed. Yeah. So when you have that aspect, it, as funny as that is, that's normally what makes Batman work, right? Is that you see him and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, he's calculated. He knows what he's doing. And every time those age-old questions of could Batman kill Superman would come up, it was always like, well, he'd find a way if you give him enough prep time because he's going to figure out and learn and study his enemies so that he can be informed, which is a lot of what we saw in Batman versus Superman. You know, We see yeah. before he ever comes, he's like, I know what his weakness is. I have spent time developing these weapons to bring him down. And then we have this movie where apart from everything happening he has that line he says to uh to alfred where he's like and and, you know how do you know and then he just says you know faith alfred faith right it surprised me that i felt like it worked even though the whole movie was kind of him being like i can't operate the way i've always operated otherwise we die yeah i mean i don't have a problem with that it's just more of an interesting thing that it's it's a it's a decidedly non-Batman factor, but I guess because it's a human factor and Batman at the heart of everything is just a human, it swings back around to working. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't really. I don't think that Batman operating on faith thing is really uh, a change or a you know keeping with the comics. It's just kind of it's just what there. he has to do. Yeah, at that point, yeah. it would be more ridiculous if he was like. No, Superman will come because I've calculated it that there's a 98.8% chance he'll realize that he has to and I've gotten this math through his moralities. No, it's just we brought him back because we believe in him and he'll show up. Mm -hmm. And I have no problem with that. So one of the things I thought was cool about the way they chose to introduce Cyborg is that it's almost like a computer version of Superman. At least in the way that the films have set up Superman and realistically what Superman's thing is. He's an alien of this world who can basically has to focus in and control himself and push himself to not do the things he can do and choosing mm-hmm. when to step in and do those things. And even if you look at all of his stuff with, you know, loss, uh, loss of a parent and how he leads on those things and even eventually loss of a father, 
I thought that was kind of a cool little parallel that ran between them. And it was the movie was constantly kind of setting Cyborg up as like, you're the type of superhero who could follow in Superman's footsteps if it ever came to that again. He just had to get himself there. And I'd be really interested to see, and of course it's not going to necessarily happen, but <laughs> I wonder where the idea to go with a Cyberman, a Cyberman, a Cyborg <laughs> standalone film were here. Like, you know, now that we've introduced him in this way, where do you take him and how do you use Victor's past and different opportunities like what do you do with that in a movie form and i'd be really interested to see how that was going to go or if he was going to kind of become the de facto hulk to a degree where it's like he never has his own standalone movie but he always plays a part somewhere else in a way that works for his character Mm -hmm. i mean he was supposed to get a standalone movie i thought he was i imagine that won't happen now that uh he's not very happy with wb but yeah he was apparently offered a part in the in the flash movie and turned it down down. so uh but i I like that i thought that was a cool way to set them up and i don't know it was surprised because i'll be honest i you know cyborg is one of those people where i've never really read the teen titans comics or any of that i don't know a lot about cyborg outside of his actual representation in non-comic media i know very little about him i mean again there's weird little things where he'd show up in some of the comics that i did read but i thought it was really interesting to see him come up that way because i don't know how they typically build his character up i think uh for the most part everything in in the movie was pretty accurate i'm not a huge cyborg guy so interesting yeah i think it's one of those things too where a lot of people end up being excited about the idea of cyborg for as much as you talked about with that ray fisher booyah scene that's clearly just trying to pay off to the section of the fandom that only know who cyborg is because of teen titans yeah that's and, true. I, and I get it. That's what happens when these things grow. And I guess the goal of any comic book story is to hopefully get so popular that it can break into the mainstream and everyone knows these characters. But I didn't realize until then, I'm like, I've never really thought to look much into who he is. Now, we get Lex Luthor in this movie again. Yeah. I have to know, even though I said we weren't going to talk about it anymore, is, that, is Lex Luthor even in justice league i don't think so that would make sense (laughs) yeah i don't know he was a little he was interesting at the very least i don't mind him i don't think that he's necessarily the most accurate lex luther but somehow i liked the take of him just as a person like if i don't think too much about the fact that he's supposed to be lex luther outside of the opportunities he has I thought that that take on Lex Luthor was really interesting. Like, I didn't hate it, and I was willing to see more of it. I mean, I think it was pretty good because, personally, because he's just playing early Lex Luthor. He's playing Lex Luthor in his, uh, you know, Apple in the garage phase, not the Steve Jobs wearing turtlenecks phase. You know, you you got to start young, and that's where they were, you know. Yeah, and I really thought that was a cool way to show him because that's typically not where we get to it. We don't typically get introduced to Lex in that capacity. Which is weird, and that's what the cool thing about these kind of movie stories is. is like, how can you look at a character and be like, what can we look at them that we can't necessarily get wrong because it's not something that's often explored, if ever explored. I don't know if there's ever been a time where we've seen a young Lex Luthor. No, I don't think so. Not that I know of. 
So it's hard to get wrong. As long as you get some Lex Luthor-like aspects in there, you kind of have free reign to do what you want to with the rest, and going that cutthroat way definitely works. Um, so I guess from there, and we're just going to start trying to round this out. Sure. A lot of the story builds towards this idea of this of, of the nightmare scape or whatever you want to call it, which is this consistent series of visions that Batman has had starting back in Batman versus Superman. And it's clearly leaning towards what the movies are trying to do in the long run. Or at yeah. least it seems that way. And it there's a there's that scene with every bit of what we already talked about with the Joker and uh, Deathstroke coming in and kind of talking and showing and then we see Superman fly down at the end and uh and he's be like, Oh no, he's found us. That was so cool to see and build up toward and even that little weird part afterwards where Bruce wakes up and walks outside and he sees the Martian Manhunter fly down and discuss with him. There's so many questions I have about where the next movie goes based off of the way this movie tries to end. Uh, and I don't, in an excited way, the reason that I've basically joined team hashtag restore the Snyderverse is because I'm I'm just a, I'm intrigued enough across the board from all of these little tales that are going off seemingly left to just die. And I'm interested enough to see where they actually choose to pull all these things in, be it specifically in Justice League or or explicitly in standalone films. Like you know, I think that the the scene where we get to reintroduce to Lex and why I imagined it wasn't in the wedding movie was because of the fact that there's no need to set up a standalone Batman movie in his version of it. Mm-hmm. And then you, you continue to go through like, you know, that scene is entirely like, Oh, it doesn't seem like it has anything to do with that. The only weird thing about that is it did seem odd to have a scene where we see Deathstroke being excited about finding out who Batman is to immediately seeing a version of Deathstroke in the future who's working directly beside Batman. Oh Yeah, why? It felt weird to me just because of how they timed that. Like, you could have put a little more space in that, but it was literally back-to-back. Like, hey, I know who Bruce Wayne is. Let's drink. Bam. Nightmare verse. Hey, Bruce, we're working together, big buddy. I don't know. I kind of liked it because it was basically like... It, it, it helped it helped you go okay this is let's say five years later mm-hmm. instead of having a a big black screen that says five years later on it true true so all it did was just be like okay this is the future yeah which i mean i think the the film had done enough with the constant flashes to let you know that when those scenes are happening this was like visions of a future but i also think having him there i guess helps with why would he even bother bringing the joker along at this point yeah, and and it helps you. Well, if he's working with Deathstroke, you know, another unlikely ally, you know, I, I think it helps sell the weight of what's going on. Which I think every viewer would know if Superman goes rogue, we know to be like everyone in that world would know to be afraid, rightfully right. so. I think that's really the entire point of Batman versus Superman to begin with. Um, so when you get here, I, I yeah, of course, you're going to work with people you don't expect, but I guess it does help kind of sell the weight of the moment. It's like, you know, here we have the Joker clearly rubbing against Bruce as much as he can. We have a bunch of different unlikely allies um, interestingly coming together. I'm mm. excited to see what that would lead to. Um, 
I don't know. I just I wonder. I guess my last question to you would be, from the way this movie ends and sets up, if they were going to continue any of this, what do you think is the best way to do it? Do you think the best way would be to continue making HBO Max exclusive movies? Or do you think that you write these in such a way where you're doing basically limited series? And if so, is Zack Snyder the best person for that? Yes, no, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so you think you'd rather see them continue to do movies? I think I think the only way to do it properly would be to do mini movies in a season, which at that point just do a, th- a three hour movie, you know? Yeah. Instead of a 12 hour mini series. Well, I'll agree with that. I don't think that the miniseries necessarily has to be 12 hours. Whatever it ends up needing to be, I don't care if it's a three or four epi- episode miniseries, if at the end of it. Well, but at that point, the episodes together. have to be two hours long, right? They don't because, have to be. Yeah. They, I mean, I think they do because you have to explore the world properly and you can't. I don't know. One of the big things is going. Spoilers for the Flash TV show, right? Is they do Flashpoint. But mm-hmm. they do it in one episode, mm-hmm. and it doesn't work because it's done in one episode. Yeah, it's not, and, and that is normal and TV time of like twenty-two minutes, or are those. You got to think I've never, a, I've never a watched forty-seven a, minute okay. or whatever it is. So there's but hour my, slots. My, yeah, and my point with that is not that you can't do it fast. It's that you have to focus and do it right. They didn't do it right, and I don't think you can do this right unless it's a full length thing and that's just me maybe i'm not being clear about that but i don't think no it i understand works. what you mean and there's also the difference of tv tv has to be written with a clear rise and fall for every episode which means that you have to have cliffhangers that exist to excite people to go to the next one just because that's the nature of tv whereas a movie gets to go without having to pad out that extra end of the arc because it can continue that arc all the way through if it chooses to do so so i could see that i mean in my ideal situation i agree that as weird as it is because four hours seems like a long time this movie didn't feel like i sat there for four hours realistically which was refreshing um as much as i enjoyed once upon a time in america it felt like i sat there for four hours yeah this movie did the unthinkable and made it feel like i maybe sat there two and a half hours because it kept me engaged in a way that didn't make it so obvious that I was sitting there for a long time. And Mm -hmm. that's an interesting thing. So for me, I think my ideal way is to do this again, but with your next, you know, whatever the next one was going to be, whatever they call it. um, I just think that in this world where HBO max is potentially the only interest in this moving forward and the only real potential path for it to really do anything. What does HBO max want? You know, do they want to continue with a change of structure that better fits the streamed environment are we learning because of covid and the fact that they're doing so many movies same day and date on streaming services that people are just as interested in watching this on streaming services therefore it can be a boon if you say hey here's this movie that's only available on hbo max much like this and then you see benefits from it 
the the yeah. long run question for me is like you know you see something like Disney Plus, which is a good comparable service to HBO Max, yeah, uh, and it's basically the same for HBO. It, it's uh, Disney Plus is to Marvel what HBO Max is for DC here. Mm-hmm. There's benefits that they have in just saying we're going to create for this format TV shows that are going to keep you invested over time in the service so that we gain a long-term customer whereas a movie like this has the potential downside of a lot of people coming in for a single month paying watching the movie and bouncing immediately back out because you don't have the show going along across two months to keep the subscriber count longer um now i think there's different things about that i it seems from what I can tell that a lot of the time TV production seems to be cheaper than movie production. I don't really understand why Uh, I would love to get backside information to understand exactly how that works out. Um, You know, if the actors were going to do this in a more TV like fashion, would they take a pay cut to do so? And that's all just stuff that's interesting to me and interesting in how likely they are to want to do these things. Cause for a long time, there was that idea from actors that, becoming a tv actor is like the death of your career which seems to be changing a lot of actors seem to have changed their mind on that yeah i mean i think the thing is as long as you pay them and that's the problem is i think that dc and wb have blown this so bad that it would cost too much to make these movies oh like you've you've pissed everyone off so they're like i'll do it for this yeah. many million exactly because you have to get zach back then you have to get Ben. Then you have to get. Then you have to get Ray Fisher. Ray Fisher is going to tell you to suck his dick until he's the Robert Downey Jr. of the DC universe. Okay, so this sounds weird. And you also th- can't recast him, right? Yeah, you can't. Uh, yeah, they, I, you you get destroyed. <laughs> yeah, oh, I agree. And that's the uh, that's the magic. That's what I said earlier. I think Ray Fisher's the real. <clears throat> he'll be what either breaks the camel's back or keeps it all together, if it's going to go forward. But. That's why I think the fact that Ray seems to really respect Snyder and he probably is very happy right now that HBO Max has even released the Snyder Cut where you get to see the original intention for his character and what he acted out and Mm -hmm. how literally crucial a role that he is in this film, like you mentioned. I think that there's some goodwill that could be done there to where if the if the tides were going to roll around right and it was specifically that Ray was like, yeah, I'll work for Zach again because I know Zach cares to have, you know, people. Uh, clearly, there's a lot of stuff to talk about it. Uh, a cool little tidbit about the movie is apparently this. You can find these articles all over the place. They're just blowing up. But at one point in time, Zach was apparently going to quit the Snyder Cut. Because after DC said they were going to let him do anything he wanted, he wanted to have John Stewart's Green Lantern come in at the end instead of Martian Manhunter and have a very similar conversation and join the Justice League that way. But DC said absolutely not. And he threatened to quit, but then he said he felt bad that if the only reason the fans wouldn't get the movie they just got excited about again was because of a single hill he was wanting to die on that he couldn't do it. And that's why we ended up with the Martian Manhunter scene the way it is, because they were willing yeah. to let him do that. So I think the Martian that's Manhunter... That's interesting. I think Martian Manhunter works, too. It um, does, but I guess where I was going with that is that Zach specifically remarked that he felt bad originally that they were going to take a person of color's character that he was trying to do something cool with and build it into, and that was his original intention yeah. away. But he's like, you know, he said he felt good that at least it was Martian Manhunter, which is, you know, portrayed by a black actor as well. So right. that was it was cool. I mean, and I, I mean, agree, but that's why I could see Zach Snyder 
being the potential puzzle piece for what may have Ray Fisher come back. Yeah. I think, I don't know, we mentioned it before, but there was something else I remembered where Ryan Choi also completely cut out of the Justice League, which... I would imagine you don't necessarily know who he is, but he he would be, he's a he future the, Justice League member. He's Adam, <laughs> or he's a Adam. Oh, well, is Ryan Choi not the the scientist? He is the scientist. Yeah, but I'm, I'm saying. Say I, yeah, I, I no, got. You. I know. I know. You know who he is in the movie. I'm talking about the fact that he is that also he goes a on to be. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's I why you. I was just pointing out that like they cut him out of the entire every there's he's never mentioned in justice league yeah it's it's and crazy how much this POC movie, they pulled out <laughs> yeah it's crazy how much this movie clearly set up so much more of the dceu like as so much, much as as much as marvel attempted <clears throat> to build up to the avengers and then have the avengers be all those characters kind of coming together and then continuing to build up a second round of avengers by doing more individual movies um it's almost like they did two movies to get to Justice League, and Justice League was going to set up the majority of the universe from here. We're going to introduce this person as this uh, character, this person as this character. Uh, you see this? This is Ryan Choi. Eventually, he's going to go off to be one of the Adams. Okay, we're going to do this. Here's Martian Manhunter. Oh, here's the new Green Lantern we're doing. It's like clearly there was a lot of stones put in place of, oh, this is where we introduce all of our people, and then we can go mm-hmm. off and do what we want to with them there. And it's such a different take, but it's wild how many little seeds there are in this film. No, for sure. I don't know. It's crazy to me, man. It really is. We live in a world where this movie exists to begin with, so I refuse to not have at least a little morsel of possibility that the Snyderverse can come back. I I refuse to have faith because I don't think I does I don't think I deserve to see another of Ben Affleck playing the best Batman we've ever seen. So that's such an interesting take. It's, and not, I, I, hold it's on. not even close. I'm sorry. I, I don't no, mean no, no. to. It's, it's cool. I'm not saying that you're <laughs> wrong. I'm saying it's an interesting take because I feel like Ben Affleck is probably the most divisive B- Batman that we've had. Which, to be fair, we had years and years of a ton of, of a bunch of different Batmans back to back. And then we had a long yeah. period with, a, with basically a lot of people being like, oh, we only have christian bale's batman and then we have this one so i think the comparison points are a lot different i went from being unsure about ben affleck's batman from the original cut of batman versus superman to being more into it from the ultimate cut to being completely into it from this movie yeah and it's been an interesting arc uh, but I also have the weird opinion that I don't think Christian Bale's Batman's all that hot to begin with. No, those movies are bad. So. <laughs> Tune in next time when we talk about The Dark Knight with Blake. <laughs> I'm glad Blake hasn't picked it yet because I don't want to have that conversation. But I'm ready for it. I have notes already. <laughs> I have notes from the last time I watched that horrible movie. I'm kidding. Yeah, I don't hate I do, the movie. Actually. I just don't think that they're quite the movies that a lot of people thought they are. I think there's no, they are good nuts. ones, but... Yeah, that'll be a conversation for a different day. We'll see if we ever come back around to that. But Chris, thanks for joining me, buddy. I'm glad you like this, and I'm glad we live in a world. This is one of those odd success stories of COVID. <laughs> I don't know if they would have ever cared to come back and revisit this idea if COVID didn't have them going, what the hell do we put out? And they go, <laughs> well, for $70 million, we could put out a brand new four-hour content that would bring in a lot of people instead of having to develop something completely new for multiple hundreds of millions yeah absolutely yeah it's amazing so i that's i'll be the pessimist here or i'll be the optimist here and say that there is little hope 
still live under the expectation that you're never going to get it. Chris can be our pessimist here and say, well, <laughs> he doesn't deserve to see more Batfleck. Oh, so good. I'll tell you right now that you know your worth. You deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Chris. I think here we are at the penultimate part of our episodes. We got to rate yes. the movie. Okay. What do you Me get? First, uh, five out of five. Pro- I want to say it's my favorite superhero movie, but I don't know that for sure. I want to rewatch it before I say that with absolute certainty, but I'm right behind you. I also think this is a five out of five. Can't believe how good it was, and I can't believe how crazy good of a comic book film it is. Yeah, It, it feels wrong to have thought in your head that there was a world in which this doesn't ever make it out for people to see. God damn. I can't imagine what went through their minds being like, yeah, the justice cuts better. <laughs> Fucking A. Then again, you know, the way they saw this movie was no CG, a bunch of scenes cut. Does this not, is it not as obvious to them in this scene where when you're comparing the two, is it not as obvious that this is a much better movie? I think it is because even without CG, I can tell that there's much better storyline through, uh, you know, story through lines than other ones. It's a, it's an interesting world. Yeah, I mean, this is a four-hour movie. When it ended, I was like, I could, I could sit through that again. I, I am one hundred percent intent on watching it again within the next month. And I know yeah. I say that about a lot of the movies we've said we've yes, watched, and I still intend to go back and watch those. But I am fairly positive I'm gonna make good on this one. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and then we can tell Blake that he has to watch it, and we'll have to do a a follow up episode. A we redux. Don't really, well, yeah, we'll, we'll do the we'll do the uh, the Pope's cut. <clears throat> of this episode yeah i'm into it <laughs> all right chris thanks for joining me man if y'all guys want to Hold find on. i gotta pick my movie oh you're right shit i'm sorry yep. <clears throat> it's okay all right chris thanks for joining me buddy what is our movie for next week you gonna make blake <laughs> suffer no uh i don't think so we're gonna stick on the new movie train and we are going to watch godzilla versus kong for next week oh dude okay comes out on wednesday and we will record on thursday that's going to be fun. Really interesting. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because uh, just a quick spoiler, I've not seen any of those movies. Yeah, I would say maybe try and watch them, but I would imagine we're just going to talk about how cool it was watching a lizard punch a monkey. Well, at the end of the day, isn't that what this is? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, actually. I'll, give, I'll give this a little more than that. I actually thought there was a lot of really great movies, uh, scenes in this movie, but also it's super cool to watch Batman sling a, a gun at an alien bug's head. Zack Snyder's Justice League and Godzilla vs. Kong, objectively the same movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, I think yes, we got to round this show off the, the right way. So uh, if you guys want to go and harass Chris for his take on Batfleck being the best Batman, then you can head over to his Twitter at F-I-G-Z-2-1-K. That's Figs21K. You can go yell at Blake for not watching this four-hour movie and instead going on vacation by heading over to his Twitter, which is at Popst, P-O-B-S-T, underscore Blake, underscore nine two. And you can find me on the weekly 
PlayStation podcast Twitter for Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast where I am sometimes joined by Chris, but most of the time my buddy Saul is talking about gaming, PlayStation, and a bunch of other stuff. Chris and I do a show very similar to this podcast where we look at a singular game and discuss it at length called Spoiler Chats. So if you want to go hear more of us, go check those out. The last one we did was for Near Automata. Got one coming up for a game called Spiritfarer. So be on the lookout for that. If you want to support the show, you can head over to patreon.com slash nartech and consider becoming a patron for as little as a dollar per month to get you early access to this show as well as other benefits like shout outs at the end of episodes like our boy Kyle Grimm has Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green. My name is Dan, Luke Bartolomeo, Sean Santarude, Funk Turkey, Danny Villiobos, Corey Hickerson, Blake Popes, Kevin Baconbits, Mark Schutz, Eric McAllister, Shadowist, Stephen Salazar, The Stonard, Rich, Constantly Kenny, Solitary Red, Chris Figs, Zachary Sawyer, Landis, Rude Days 93, Josh Drago, Brian, Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Joshua Lago, Sean One Neo, Tyler Powers, El Chabib, Rob Warpoint, Turkey Spaghetti, Spaghetti. and Richard Schaefer. Turkey Spaghetti is not an actual patron, but if you want to uh, holler at your boy, whoever is a supporter of uh, of Turkey Spaghetti, we can get you on this patron train quick. (laughs) Thank you, guys. Fuck Amber Heard. All right. Interesting. and congratulations you have discovered the secret message midweek matinee is produced and edited by christopher figueroa music is by joshua lago thank you for your support and for enjoying all these movies with us and lastly please send your itunes reviews to old pink care of the funny farm